extra job. Um, borrow money from family just to keep afloat. Shelters are at capacity. People are being priced out of their homes. Soaring costs and tough choices. The ongoing struggles for people across the GTA tonight as the affordability crisis takes a new turn. Good evening. We begin with a look at two issues facing many people right now, the cost of living and finding a decent place to live. At the core of both is inflation and the sky-high prices for everything from fuel to food. And there's new evidence tonight suggesting the effect it's having on our cities is worsening. CTV's Austin Delaney starts us off with our top story tonight. Austin. Well, there's a new survey out that's showing this inflation that we're experiencing is making people make some hard choices, changing the way they live their lives, and not just in a minor way. I spoke to people today who say they know of colleagues who have had to sell their houses, sell their cars. Some people have two, three jobs just to survive. It is no secret Canadians are in a bit of a financial squeeze as inflation soars. Well, I have to wear like three jobs now. Um, yeah. Just to afford. Just to afford to live here. A new Maru public opinion today indicates higher prices for goods have pushed 49% of Canadians to make drastic lifestyle changes, while 33% say rising interest rates have pushed them to the brink of financial despair. At work, there's one... Um, one of the nurses, she um, she actually had to sell her place because the interest rate had gone up too high for her wow. to, uh, to afford it anymore. So she's actually looking to rent. Now she's kind of going backwards a little bit, unfortunately. 74% of Canadians surveyed say they are cutting back on spending, while 27% admit they are loading up their credit cards to make ends meet. Another 21% are cashing in investments to help ease the financial crunch. I had to run to my parents and ask them for a little hand for some help uh, with groceries. I had to get an extra job, um, borrow money from family just to keep afloat. I've gotten rid of my vehicle completely. The insurance and everything were skyrocketing. I moved in with somebody instead of living on my own. It seems everyone is feeling the pinch in some way or another. Unfortunately, it's going to be a new reality. Financial planner Michelle Hung says get used to the higher prices. It's hard to revert back to lower prices once prices hit a certain when once you know prices are at a certain point um that's what inflation is all about right and certainly it's going to be hard for companies to kind of lower their prices unless they really unless they have to and with a looming recession nearly three quarters of canadians say they are financially prepared to weather the bad times but only for so long 34% believe they would be unaffected for a year, while 38% say they have enough socked away to ride out a six-month recession. But an alarming 28% worry they would be done within the first month. And when they broke down the numbers in terms of age groups and income, they found that young adults and low-income earners suffer the most. I point live, I'm Austin Delaney. All right, thank you, Austin. And those figures from Austin's report show just how close many are to losing their home. Today, dozens of people stood shoulder to shoulder, calling on all levels of government to take action on the housing crisis facing them right now. CTV's Beth McDonnell was at the rally and joins us live with more. Beth. Michelle, people at the rally say each level of government has a role to play in this crisis. One of the big reasons, there's a backlog of people looking for social housing. The wait for affordable housing in Toronto can take years. It's a crisis those at this National Housing Day rally say has been ignored far too long. I don't have any housing at all, you know. So I, I'm hoping 
right, or they will stop these condominiums and spend the money to get people off the road and get me into a nice warm place. The city says there are about 80,000 people on the list for a place, among them 24-year-old Christopher. He's been staying at Nove Hotel in St. Lawrence Market, a temporary space acquired by the city during the pandemic. It's closing at the end of the year. Right now I'm getting $280 a month on the street and it's really not enough to survive off of um, and I'm really not wanting to go to another shelter. I want to get housing. What will housing do for you as a person? It saved me from freezing to death, give me a chance to get a job and work on my life and build something for myself. Organizers want to see 10,000 geared-to-income social housing units created right away, along with 2,700 additional shelter spaces. To make it happen, they're calling on Ottawa to create a national housing strategy and provide more funding. From the province, increase social assistance so people can afford apartments and have the city keep shelter hotels open. We're going to see more and more people end up in encampments, living outside, riding transit overnight. If there's no solutions immediately, and people will die. When it comes to supportive housing, the city says it is making progress. 3,600 units will have been created over two years, surpassing its target. There's more housing and supportive housing being built in this city than there has been in decades, but uh, there's a lot of catch-up to do. The city shelters about 8,200 people a night, 1,600 more now compared to last year. Still, some are being turned away. And at the end of the day, when I have to close up, I say I have a sleeping bag and a tent for you. And in the richest city in the world, it's a disgrace. The hope now that leaders see the frustration and take action. The city says it's looking for more shelter opportunities and expects to have 9,000 spaces available by the end of the winter. But housing is the key. The city says we all have a role to play in this crisis, and that has to do with new projects coming to our neighbourhoods and welcoming them. Reporting live, I'm Beth McDonnell. Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Beth. Still ahead, Chopped Toronto Edition. While the province says a handful of the city's oldest residents need to be taken down. We'll have that story for you a bit later this hour. John Tory is about to begin a new term as Toronto's mayor with some significant upgrades. He's been given so-called strong mayor powers by the province and his influence could affect the way City Hall operates for years to come. CTV's Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris joins us now with the controversy and the concern. Siobhan. Well, the provincial government says these powers are all about getting more housing built more quickly. But the opposition says what's happening is an end run around democracy. On the eve of the first meeting of a new city council, flashes of disbelief at Queen's Park about new powers proposed for the mayors of Toronto and Ottawa. Speaker, we don't agree oh, sorry, on everything in this house, that's for sure. But I would have thought we would all agree on the basic tenets of our democratic system. Legislation would allow mayors of Ontario's two biggest cities to pass bylaws that fit provincial priorities with only one-third council support. The government maintains it's about speeding up construction of homes. We're going to continue to work with mayors, to listen to Mayor Tory, to deliver on changes that Mayor Tory has Order. asked for to be able to get shovels in the ground. Opposition parties agree the housing crisis needs attention, but not like this. It's completely outrageous that the premier would undermine centuries of democratic principles by bringing in minority rule. Eight people in the city of Toronto, a city of three million people, eight of 26 councillors, get to make 
decisions for everybody else. If you can't secure a majority for the decisions that you're trying to take, then that probably tells you something about the decision you're trying to take. Five former Toronto mayors have sent a letter to John Tory asking him to reject the powers he asked for. The group says it's appalled at this attack on one of the essential tenets of local democracy and fearful of the real substantive risks this change would pose for the city. John Tory's office said he planned to make very limited use of the power, but is reviewing the letter. The government also faces anger from cities for slashing fees developers pay. We have to get those baseline costs. Those fees are too high. It takes too long to get shovels in the ground. Some municipalities have said the move will leave them short on cash and force them to raise taxes. Either that or they're going to see service cuts. And I don't know if anybody's seen the sidewalks of Toronto lately, but we can't afford service cuts. Minister Clark reasons that cities will eventually be able to make up that lost revenue from development charges when they have more people paying property taxes. But opposition parties point out those people will need services that cost money, too. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Nathan, back to you. All right. Thank you, Siobhan. One man is recovering from an overnight stabbing in New York. Police say he was attacked near Caledonia and Lawrence at around 9. Another man was injured. Police are still investigating, but one person was taken into custody. Police are looking for two men wanted for a kidnapping and assault near Scarborough Town Center. 23-year-old Moussin Sufi and 20-year-old Abdullahi Patel are facing a number of charges, including forcible confinement robbery with a firearm. They are accused of forcing a man into a car near the mall Thursday and beating him for several hours. Police say they have one person in custody related to this case. Our chopper high over the scene of a midday house fire in Scarborough. Flames have been put out, but officials say one man was found in the home. He was taken to hospital. No word on a cause, but officials believe the fire may have started in a kitchen. Taking a view of the city tonight and our first look at the weather. A very calm day out there with some decent temperatures for November. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. Lindsay, the clouds really pushed out. We saw some nice sun, depending on where you were this afternoon. It's so true, Michelle. A pretty pleasant day overall, both in terms of the sunshine, but also the temperatures. We made it to a high of 5 degrees in Toronto. That's on the cool side of seasonal. It's still mild this hour in Welland at 6 degrees. Elsewhere, we're seeing the temperature start to fall. It's 1 degree at Pearson Airport feels cooler than that once you factor in the winds, but it's worth mentioning that the winds are a lot calmer this hour than they were at this time yesterday. A couple of light flurries to our north and to our west uh, of the city of Toronto. We are expecting it to be fairly dry through the overnight hours tonight, partly cloudy skies and a forecast low of minus one. We'll talk about your temperature pattern through the next seven days. Coming up for now, though, Nathan, over to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. We've seen the impact of Ontario's struggling health care system in the GTA and beyond. And now another part of the province has been forced to make a difficult decision. London's Children's Hospital is reducing surgeries because of a lack of inpatient beds. It says the move is needed to ensure critical care and emergency needs are met. Inpatient beds are reportedly sitting at 115% over capacity. A surge in respiratory illness has increased demand and daily visits to the emergency department are 80% higher than normal. Wait times are averaging six to eight hours. In Ottawa, Canada's public safety minister testified today at the inquiry into the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act. Marco Medicino told the commission he was convinced special powers were needed after hearing details from a secret RCMP operation. CTV's Glenn McGregor reports. 
As convoys of big rigs headed towards Ottawa, protecting the parliament buildings and those who work there was the public safety minister's initial priority. I was worried about a significant number of people being able to both uh, ingress and, and, and egress uh, from the hill. As the protests spread across the country and police seemed powerless to stop them, here, Marco Mendocino said he was growing frustrated. We had a protest that was national in scale that overwhelmed the resources of police. And growing worried about Ottawa residents taking the action that police would not. I mean, it was utter and total mayhem. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. But it was the blockade at the border crossing in Coots, Alberta, that Mendicino said alarmed him most. He spoke privately with RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky, who warned him about some of the protesters there. A hardened cell of individuals who were armed to the teeth with lethal firearms, uh, who uh, possessed a, um, a willingness to go down with the cause. Lucky told him there were two undercover RCMP officers among them. The potential uh, for... Uh, for gun violence and for the loss of life and the fact that there were RCMP personnel that were in the field and all of this occurring literally within hours, not even days, of the invocation to the Emergencies Act, I was extremely concerned. Mendicino says he shared the details of the secret RCMP operation only with the Prime Minister. The RCMP moved in, making arrests and seizing a large cache of weapons and ammunition. The next day, the government invoked the Emergencies Act. Before Mendicino could face cross-examination, a testy exchange between the commissioner and the lawyer representing convoy organizers. No, I know you've directed, sorry, you wanted the I'm application. I'm sorry, I'm speaking, it's I'm not speaking. It's been ruled on and okay. it's been filed for I days. I will take a break while uh, you're asked Sir? to leave. Brendan Miller was tossed out of the hearing and escorted from the building. Six more cabinet ministers are slated to testify in this final week of the commission, including the one who made the final decision on the Emergencies Act. Justin Trudeau will take the stand on Friday. Glenn McGregor, CTV News, Ottawa. A man who rammed a gate at Rideau Hall in an attempt to confront the prime minister has been granted day parole. Corey Huron will spend six months at a halfway house. The Manitoba man drove onto the grounds of the governor general's residence in 2020. The former reservist told police he wanted to arrest Trudeau to make a statement about some of the government's policies on COVID-19 and guns. Huron was sentenced to six years after pleading guilty to weapons offenses and a charge of mischief. A developing story east of the GTA, west of the GTA tonight of Hamilton officials say they have just discovered a sewage spill that has been leaking for more than a quarter of a century. Officials say the spill was located in a hole in a sanitary pipe and that as many as 50 homes have been flushing straight into the harbor since 1996. No word tonight just how much sewage has been dumped into the water, but the city says it has a vacuum truck on site to deal with any additional spillage. And you can get more on this story later tonight on CTV News Toronto at 1130 with our Zoraida Allman. Our website will also have up-to-date information. Just head to ctvnewstoronto.ca and follow the links. Police have arrested a Brant, Brant County school bus driver after a troubling incident involving a five-year-old was caught on video. Police say the girl tried to get off of a bus on November 1st when the doors closed, trapping her. The vehicle then dragged the child about six meters. Officers say they don't believe the door malfunctioned. A 64-year-old man's been charged with careless driving. The girl is reportedly doing fine.
Police in Norfolk County are asking people to be aware of scams about so-called investment opportunities. This after a local senior was taken for more than three quarters of a million dollars by someone claiming to be selling bonds. Police say the scammers said they were from a financial institution and had asked for a series of transfers. Police say the public should be mindful of all unsolicited calls, emails or visitors to their residence. In Indonesia, landslides and rough terrain are hampering rescue efforts following an earthquake that struck the country. Some displaced residents are seeking shelter at a resettlement site about 20 kilometers from the quake's epicenter. At least 268 people were killed, more than 1,000 injured in a remote area west of Java yesterday. Search teams are scouring the rubble of destroyed buildings with more than 150 people still missing. The 5.6 magnitude quake caused significant damage to a town southeast of the capital, Jakarta. Canada imposed new sanctions against Belarus today. The fact that there are gross human rights violations in, uh, in Belarus and also because Belarus is complicit in Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The foreign affairs minister spoke during a visit today by Belarus exiled opposition leader. Those being sanctioned include Belarusians involved in the stationing and transport of Russian military personnel and equipment. The list also includes companies in several sectors, including military manufacturing, tech and banking. In all, 22 Belarusian officials and 16 companies are named. In the UK, the king hosted his first state visit today since becoming monarch. King Charles welcomed South Africa's president to Buckingham Palace. Britain hopes the visit will strengthen trade and investment ties between the two nations and show the importance of links with the Commonwealth of Nations. Later, Cyril Ramaphosa visited Westminster Abbey, where he placed a wreath at the tomb of the unknown warrior and saw the memorial stone for former South African president Nelson Mandela. Ramaphosa said the U.K. stood with South Africa to help free Mandela and end apartheid. Coming up, T-Swift versus Ticketmaster, the fight between one of the world's biggest stars and its largest ticket sales company, and why U.S. lawmakers are now getting involved. Canada's men's team is getting ready for their historic return to the World Cup, and 10,000 kilometers away, fans are likely doing the same. The excitement of the tournament so far has kept soccer faithful on the edge of their seats, and in less than 24 hours, it could reach a fever pitch right here at home. CTV Shell Thong is with fans tonight and joins us now. Sean. Well, Michelle and Nathan, tonight marks something of a transition for soccer fans in Canada. For the longest time, Canadians have been on the outside looking in with a plurality, a plurality of fans choosing the nations they choose to support. But tomorrow at 2 o'clock, when Canada takes the field, it's the first time in a long time that this country will be taking part. From the pizza left on the tray to the fans of all nations, a day of World Cup soccer at Cafe Diplomatico is unique. This is Toronto. We cheer for the world. A blocked penalty kick during Poland versus Mexico can be both a crushing defeat and a victory to be savored, preserving a nil-nil draw. For me, amazing. I'm so happy. And uh, it's the one. It's, uh, I'm so excited, right? Fans coming early for Denmark and Tunisia also ending in a draw. I would say Tunisia played way better than our expectation. Where in the afternoon, Australia scoring early on France creates a family divided. You were born in France? Yes. You were cheering when Australia scored? Yes. Why? Because I love Australia. 
she always doing that to upset me. <laughs> but with the defending champion French coming back to win, order seems restored. At the beginning, they're always like uh, floppy. It's not really, they're not really strong. And after, they're just showing like who they are. While today is what Canada is used to at World Cup time, tomorrow is something new. Today's Poland. Tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, Canada. Fans have become used to adopting flags from all over the world. Canada opening its tournament against Belgium is uncharted territory. We normally cheer for other countries here in Canada, so it is really, really nice to cheer for our own country. Cafe Diplomatico is preparing for a big party. So we're closing Clinton Street, pitching a huge tent, second video wall beyond the road. We have a live band. Fans here are known to say Forte Italia, but with Italy missing the World Cup, Rocco Mastrangelo says fans are migrating to the Canadian side. The slogan now is Forza Canada. And the world that's been created here will change. So back in 2018, when the Euro final happened between England and Italy, this corner was celebrated with Italy fans. Tomorrow, this street, like we heard, will be closed off for the Canada match. And if there's any inspiration, we know that Argentina was upset by Saudi Arabia today. That's the biggest upset probably in World Cup history. They would need something like that tomorrow for Canada to come out on top. Reporting live, I'm Sean Leethong. I'll send it back inside. Thank you, Sean. Yes, you really never know. Now, Canada will be in tough tomorrow, facing a very good Belgium team that finished third in the last World Cup. But anything can happen, and that was proven today in the tournament's first big upset, and it was a shocker. CTV's Heather Wright has the details from Doha. It's one of the most stunning upsets in sports history. Saudi Arabia beating Argentina 2-1 to today, proving anything can happen at the World Cup. It was an amazing match. Yes. Canada will try for its own Cinderella story tomorrow, taking on number two ranked Belgium. I think coming into a game like this, we don't have a great amount to lose, just genuine opportunity to make it our, our cup final. And that's, uh, that's what it is for Canada. And some good news for Team Canada on the injury front. Coach John Herdman confirmed Alfonso Davies. Stefano Stacchio and Milan Borian are healthy and will be in the lineup. You know, we're looking forward to just going out there and, you know, um, competing to win every single match we play in. Canada may be the underdogs, but making it to the World Cup... It's going to be just electric. ...was reason enough for fans to travel halfway around the world. I've seen the last time we were there, because I was his age. We spotted Ari Charleston walking through the Souk Waukee, proudly wearing his Canadian flag signed by the people he's met so far in Doha. I've got signatures from all over. I've got Uruguay, Argentina, Azerbaijan, England, USA, Iran, Turkey, Tunisia, Wales. But picking what flag to fly isn't always easy. I was born in Croatia, therefore the Croatian side, but I'm a Canadian for 60 years, so therefore the Canadian side. So... I figured during that game, I can't lose. The rivalry within this family is a bit stronger. When Canada wins and goes through, then maybe... Yeah, yeah, I might have to change flag. I might have to change flag. This is just Canada's second appearance at a World Cup. They've never scored a goal. They've never won a game at this tournament. Something they'll get a chance to change tomorrow. Heather Wright, CTV News, Doha. And a reminder, CTV and TSN are the official broadcasters of the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. 
Here's a look at the first round action for Team Canada. Tomorrow's game with Belgium's at 2 p.m. Eastern. Then Sunday, Canada faces Croatia and Morocco a week from Thursday. Still ahead on CTV News, on track for controversy. We'll show you the construction threat to some of the city's most historic trees. Tonight, Pat Foran coming up on Consumer Alert. Soon, salt and other chemicals will be on the highways to help us get through the winter. If you want to protect your car from rusting, what is the best way to do that? There are electronic devices you can buy or rust-proofing sprays. We speak with the experts. That story is just ahead. Well, as mentioned, it is a big day for Team Canada in Doha tomorrow. And even though this is the first World Cup to be played in a Northern Hemisphere winter, the days are still quite warm. So kickoff for this game is happening at 10 p.m. local time in Qatar, looking at clear skies and a temperature of about 24 degrees. We've got your seven-day forecast for Toronto coming up on the other side of this break. And stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. As we mentioned last night, when you buy a vehicle at a dealership, you may be offered additional options such as paint and rust protection. New vehicles are built much better than in the past when it comes to rusting. So should you pay extra for rust protection, a device in particular? Here's Pat Foran and Consumer Alert. Pat. Thanks, Michelle. And Nathan, electronic rust protection has been around for decades, but there is still a debate over how well it actually works. A Mississauga woman bought a rust control device and was shocked when her car still rusted. When the highways are slick, crews will dump tons of salt and other chemicals on the road to try and give you added traction. At the bottom of the driver and passenger side door, there's rust that's starting. When Jennifer Capel of Mississauga bought her 2017 Ford Escape, she paid for an extended warranty, as well as $565 for paint protection and $903 for a rust protection module. That's why she was surprised when her vehicle started rusting and paint began peeling. Between the paint and rust protection, it was over $1,000 that I paid. What did it do? It didn't do anything. Electronic rust protection devices claim they prevent rust by putting an electric charge throughout your vehicle. There have been ongoing debates over just how effective they are. We're going to check for leaks around the shock. We went to Centennial College in Scarborough where students are learning to become mechanics and asked automotive professor Garrett Nalapka if he believes the electronic rust devices work. Being in automotive, I've seen several of these companies come and go, always with claims that they're working, uh, but to date we really don't have a lot of evidence if they're working or not. APA does not recommend electronic rust protection. The Automobile Protection Association believes rust proofing sprays can help prevent rust but not electronic rust devices. It's the most expensive of the different rust proofing treatments. We've seen it up to $2,000 or $1,800 and it's the one with the least uh, scientific backing for its work. Nalepka says he is also a believer in oil sprays and says rust-proofing his 1998 Dodge Ram helped him keep it on the road for almost 800,000 kilometers. I'm a strong believer in, in oil sprays on, on vehicles, anything that's repelling moisture. After much negotiation with her dealership, Capel's paint and rust issues were repaired under warranty. And CAA told us today it does not recommend the electronic rust devices, but does recommend having your vehicle rust-proofed with a spray treatment each year. The cost is about $150, depending on the size of your vehicle. On your side, I'm Pat Foran.
If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. City Hall's Christmas tree is starting to take form. This shot above Nathan Phillips Square today. Decorating is now underway. It's expected to take about eight hours to put up more than 300 lights and 500 ornaments. First light will be November 26th for the annual Cavalcade of Lights, another sign that we're getting closer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's already lit up the CN Tower for the big game. Canada takes the field tomorrow. And the weather, people, you know, if they win, hopefully, mm-hmm. and people want to run out into the streets, maybe rip their shirts off, it, yeah. it, it'll be a bit chilly. Uh, maybe a little. But, and here's the thing. I don't want to get out of control here talking about patio weather at the end of November, but... It's pretty good for this time of year. Tomorrow's forecast, that is. Uh, Sunny, seasonal, calm, pleasant for spending some time outside. And we have a couple of days like that to look forward to before the rain moves in. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. Uh, Not rain, but flurries that we're tracking at this hour on the satellite and radar imagery. Very light stuff, not expecting much in the way of accumulation. This, of course, is happening in areas to the north and to the west of the city of Toronto. Higher elevation, higher terrain in through Algonquin Park and just to the east of Georgian Bay, as well as Lake Huron. For us, we have partly cloudy skies here in the city of Toronto. We had that sunshine in the afternoon. It was a nice day. Over the next couple of days, conditions will remain quiet. There's nothing really of concern in the short-range forecast. Things change once again as we make our way toward the end of the week and into the weekend. Two opportunities, in fact, for rain. Here's a look at the forecast radar for tonight. Just want to show you more of that flurry activity to the east of Georgian Bay. For us, we can expect to see even more in the way of sunshine for tomorrow. There will be some cloud mixed in, but overall pretty nice day. Into Thursday, the cloud cover thickens a little bit. Uh, It's going to start to clear out as well. And then overnight and into the morning hours of Friday, it looks like we're going to see a couple of rounds of showers on and off. It's not going to be a washout of a day, but uh, we could see a little more significant rainfall as we make our way into the weekend, more specifically Sunday. Those details in just a moment in your seven-day forecast. Look at the current temperatures. It is significantly colder in northern Ontario compared to the south. We made it to an afternoon high of five today in Toronto. Seasonal average or the norm is six for this time of year. And as we make our way into the night tonight, we can expect most communities to drop just below the freezing mark. There's a little bit of a wind chill factor, but not as much as there was uh, the last couple of days. And then tomorrow, daytime highs around 7 degrees for Welland, 5 in Collingwood with mostly cloudy skies, but lots of sunshine in Burlington and Aurora. There's a look at what you can expect in Uxbridge. A couple of flurries, as mentioned, for Huntsville, other parts of Muskoka, and 5 under mostly cloudy skies for you in Trenton. Here Here's your seven-day forecast for Toronto. So, again, chance of showers into the day on Friday. Saturday, we're going to see a return to some sunshine. And then Sunday, perhaps a little more steady in the way of rainfall. That rain could begin as early as Saturday night. Ahead of that, nine degrees for the daytime high on Thursday. Again, not bad for this point in the month of November. That's your look at the weather. A reminder that the CTV Toy Mountain campaign is officially underway in support of the Salvation Army, and we want you to get involved. So you can send your photos to us, help make a difference in the lives of children across the GTA by donating a new unwrapped toy to the Toy Mountain bin at your local mall or another participating location. And again, be sure to send us a photo or video of your efforts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at toy.mountain.com 
at bellmedia.ca. We'd love to share your photos and videos right here on CTV News. All the information you need on how and where you can donate can also be found online at toymountain.ca. Just click on Toronto and help give a kid a Christmas. Nathan and Michelle, that's all for now. I'll send it back to you. Thanks, Lindsay. Well, it appears the province is not letting nature get in the way of progress tonight. Metrolink says it's planning to cut down five historic trees in the city's core. It's being done to make way for a new subway station. Here's our John Musselman with the construction controversy. A private company was pruning the trees at Osgood Hall today, all part of the annual pre-winter maintenance, according to Law Society officials. But there is growing concern that at least five of the trees on the southwest corner of the property could be cut down next month to make way for the new Ontario subway line. No, no, should not do that. Because in a city like that, you need to have a green uh, lush vegetation. Otherwise, it will be a concrete jungle. That's really terrible. Metrolinx has given notice of its intent to remove the trees to accommodate an upcoming archaeological assessment. It has to be done before construction of the new subway line can begin. But opposition is growing. Liz Driver is the curator of the Campbell House Museum. It's on the opposite side of University Avenue. She says destroying the trees is a big mistake. Well, it's so unnecessary. You know, once the trees are gone, that's it. It takes well over 100 years to, you know, produce a mature urban forest like that. Aaron O'Donovan is the president of the Toronto Lawyers Association. During an interview today, we spotted an owl in one of the trees. They should be considering an alternative location. We should be doing everything we can to protect this location. There are very few green spaces in the downtown core. Today, Metrolink says the date on the tree removal plan could change. Quote, work plans for the area are still being confirmed and discussed with partners. Once they are confirmed, we will share them with the community. Meanwhile, Toronto Mayor John Tory says he wants to see the city's independent review of the new subway station first before any trees are removed. Quote, Mayor Tory has a mandate from voters to get transit built, including the Ontario line, but he will be advocating throughout this process for Metrolinx to be respectful of the communities around these projects. Yeah, I think the Metrolinx has an obligation to explore all possibilities and it's my understanding that there's been alternative proposals put forward how those trees could be protected. The Ontario line will have 15 stations that will run from Exhibition Place right up to the Ontario Science Centre. Metrolinx will host the community meeting in the coming weeks to provide an update on what will happen on the Osgood Hall property. John Musselman, CTV News. Also tonight, could angry Taylor Swift fans prompt a shakeup in the concert ticket landscape? The deepening fallout from Ticketmaster's botched sale of a long-awaited tour. On air, online, on every platform. Escape tragedy by mere moments. CTV News Toronto. A story you'll only see here. Winner of the Canadian Screen Award for Best Local Newscast. We have developing details. Watch weeknights at 6. The ongoing drama surrounding the availability of Taylor Swift concert tickets has gone next level. The U.S. Congress is now going to probe the lack of competition in the ticketing industry. Our Andrea Case joins us now. And Andrea, this is not a new problem for fans. It is not, Michelle and Nathan. Good evening. No. Uh, government bodies in the U.S. have been investigating this for years. But now it appears more people, including artists, have become more vocal about it. They may be listening. 
In 2010, when Ticketmaster, North America's number one seller of event tickets, and Live Nation, the world's largest music promoter, merged, it created what many believe is a stranglehold on the industry. It is virtually impossible for an act to play a Live Nation venue without Ticketmaster providing the tickets. Concerns have been raised for years. And it's time the industry is transparent with consumers about how many tickets are being held back for industry insiders, reserved for pre-sales, or placed directly on the secondary market at a higher price. This was a Congress subcommittee in February 2020. Today it was announced a new Senate antitrust panel will hold a hearing on the lack of competition in the ticketing industry. Last week's record-breaking demand and failure by Ticketmaster to manage the sale of Taylor Swift's long-awaited tour crashed the site. I have the fans to thank, essentially, for my happiness. The first leg of Swift's highly anticipated The Eras Tour kicks off in Arizona in March and ends in Los Angeles in August. No Canadian dates have been announced yet. After 14 million Swifties tried in vain to buy a ticket, then Ticketmaster canceled a general sale to the public, claiming most of the seats were already taken before they even had a chance to buy them. Swift tweeted her frustration. It's a frustration echoed by fans of the K-pop group BTS. Last year, their fans encountered a similar situation when tickets sold out in a pre-sale event. Tickets, which were priced for around $500 U.S., skyrocketed to over 15000 by resale site StubHub. With the pandemic restrictions lifted and more and more acts hitting the road, another way ticket prices have been driven up is by way of dynamic pricing. A higher ticket price driven by demand. But if the tickets don't sell, the price drops, similar to a hotel room or airline ticket discount. Well, making tickets non-transferable is something Ticketmaster has also considered but not delivered on. Now, how important is ticket resale? In 2016, it was Ticketmaster's fastest-growing business, surpassing $1 billion in sales. Reporting live, I'm Andrea Case. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. Canada's Quest in Qatar, tomorrow on CP24 Breakfast. We're live with fans as the nation's team gets set for their first World Cup match in decades. CP24 Breakfast, where Toronto gets its everything every morning. I had to run to my parents and ask them for a little hand for some help uh, with groceries. I had to get an extra job, um, borrow money from family just to keep afloat. Updating our top stories, a new survey finds nearly half of Canadians have made drastic life cha lifestyle changes due to the rising cost of living. Meanwhile, just over a third of respondents say rising interest rates have pushed them to the brink of financial despair. They're hoping to find me something, but the chances are they're not going to, and it's pretty up in the air. I'm pretty scared I'm going to be stuck outside again. A rally was held in the city to mark National Housing Day. Advocates are calling for more affordable housing in this city, as roughly 80,000 people remain on a wait list. Some expressing concern as the city prepares to close Novotel in St. Lawrence Market. It was set up as a temporary residence during the pandemic. I think it's just amazing that we finally have such an amazing team and they rebuilt and that we were able to make it to a World Cup. And then not only is it that, it's across the world in Qatar and it's just incredible to see. Canadian soccer fans are ready to cheer on their home country in the World Cup for the first time since 1986. Team Canada will hit the pitch tomorrow to take on Belgium in their first match of the tournament.
In business, after a meager September for spending, there are some signs Canadians will be tapping and swiping in time for the holidays. Here's Jacqueline Hansen from B&M Bloomberg. The holiday shopping season is crucial for many retailers. And if October is a guide, things are looking up. While retail sales declined in September, it was largely due to gasoline prices. A drop in prices meant Canadians spent less at gas stations, while clothing sales increased the most. StatsCan's forecast for October suggests a jump in retail sales of 1.5%. Though November and December will be, of course, the big focus for holiday sales. CIBC's Deputy Chief Economist Benjamin Tal says this holiday season won't be a disaster for retailers because employment is strong. Canadians can still afford to spend, he says. He is more worried about next year. Let's take a look at some of the closing market numbers for today. The Canadian dollar is trading up almost half a cent to a little under 75 cents U.S. West Texas Intermediate Oil gained roughly a dollar to almost $81 U.S. a barrel. And Western Canadian Select gained more than a dollar to about $54 U.S. a barrel. As for stock markets, the TSX ended the day higher by about 240 points to 20,220.01. That is the latest in business. I'm Jacqueline Hansen of BNM Bloomberg. The Toronto Maple Leafs battered blue line has taken another hit. Morgan Riley's been placed on long-term injured reserve with a knee injury. He was hurt in a collision during Monday night's game against the Islanders. Defenseman Jake Muzzin and TJ Brody are also on the shelf. The team has now recalled D-man Mac Hallowell and Victor Mete from the Marlies. Meanwhile, one of the Toronto Raptors' top players is questionable for tomorrow night's game against Brooklyn. Scotty Barnes is out day-to-day with a left knee sprain. Last season's Rookie of the Year was starting to round into form after a series of disappointing games. Barnes joins Pascal Siakam, Precious Achua, and Otto Porter Jr. in a crowded Raptors sick bay. In the U.K., Manchester United says Cristiano Ronaldo will leave the team immediately. The Premier League club says both sides reached a mutual agreement to end his contract early. The move follows an explosive interview Ronaldo gave criticizing the team's manager and its owners. The 37-year-old Portugal captain has seen his playing time with United dramatically reduced this season. Just ahead, a peek at the progress inside the Dome as it undergoes a $300 million renovation. How the aging home of the Toronto Blue Jays is being transformed. Tonight, on the eve of Canada's moment in Qatar. From local heroes to the World Cup spotlight, the Canadians are having a field day in Doha. That's later on CTV National News. Get Toronto's top stories, breaking news alerts, and watch live. Download the CTV News app. There'll be wild celebrations in whatever country wins the World Cup next month. So what better place to send loads of unsold beer? Budweiser has confirmed in a tweet it's going to ship the beer that it has been left with after Qatar's last-minute stadium ban on alcohol. Beer drinkers at the games have only one option, non-alcoholic Bud Zero. And what a place where there's no shortage of cold brew, Rogers Center. Tonight, works underway on a multi-million dollar facelift for one of the oldest ballparks in the majors. CTV's Mike Walker has this sneak peek. This is a first look at the major multi-million dollar renovation to the Rogers Center. The outfield and 500 level, a shell of what it once looked like. The first glimpse has fans stunned. Oh, wow. That's nice. It's going to be awesome. 
The demolition began days after the Blue Jays were eliminated from the postseason in October and was completed last week. That includes removing all the outfield seats, part of the 200-level structure, and in the 500-level, about 17,000 seats have been removed. Those seats haven't been replaced since the Rogers Centre opened in 1989. Some areas look so like old and rotten. Uh, due to, you know, rust, rust handles, etc. Yeah, some seats were already quite, quite squish. It's a $300 million facelift that will take two years to complete. The first phase includes new raised bullpens with the outfield seats closer to the wall and multiple patios and viewing decks for people to socialize while watching the action. That includes two bars on the 500 level closest to the screen. The Blue Jays say the upgrades will get fans closer to the action. And really turn, you know, this stadium into a ballpark. When I first saw the initial plan, it was absolutely beautiful. And then now this, this is exactly how they get people to actually come to Toronto Blue Jays Stadium. About 110 workers have been on site six days a week. The demolition took approximately 21,000 worker hours to complete. Fans say the upgrades are long overdue. The stadium's kind of big. It makes sense. Like, it looks old. It's actually needed because, you know, events of today have shown that we need to be closer to the game. The second phase includes upgrades to the 100-level infield seats, premium suites, and new clubhouses for the players. That work will be done during the 2023-2024 offseason. The first phase of renovations are expected to be completed in time for the Jays' home opener, which is on April 11th. Mike Walker, CTV News. Right, a while away, we're talking soccer right now. Yes. So what about the weather for those who might be outside tomorrow watching the game? You know what? Not bad here at home. It's not a Doha type of temperatures. Right. However, it's looking pretty pleasant tomorrow. Waking up, uh, temperatures going to be right around freezing. We are expecting some sun, though, as the morning goes on. And then our afternoon highs are bang on seasonal. Six degrees for us here in the city of Toronto. Mix of sun and cloud, light winds. Pleasant for spending some time outside. Next best chance of some wet weather for us looks to come on Friday, so just a heads up there, and then we have another round of active weather as we make our way into the day on Sunday. Hopefully a little bit of sunshine in between on Saturday. Nathan and Michelle. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zarada Allman with our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay and all of us at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a good night.